Hi, I'm Tim Jordan, and at every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back to part two with Shavi. This is the first time we have ever done a two-part podcast. So uh, I was just talking to the editors, trying to figure out how we're going to make this thing nice and smooth, but we're going to make it happen. So last episode, Shavi basically told us about all the times that she died. (laughs) Is that a good summary? (laughs) Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So um, for those of you that didn't listen to the first episode, go back and listen to the first episode. And the big takeaways for me was that, you know, sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes crappy stuff happens. Sometimes it leads to some pretty cool stuff. Sometimes we find the answers to mysteries later in life than we want to. And positivity goes a long way. And that's one thing that, like, the big takeaway I took from Shavi last episode was um, was that positivity she has. So... For those of you that didn't listen and won't listen, maybe you're too lazy to go back to list episode one. Essentially, Ms. Chavi has a heart defect, right? And it causes a situation where her body does not oxygenate its blood appropriately, and that has to be monitored. And there's really no good devices. There's really no good portable, especially machines that do this, something that you can you know, live like a fairly normal life in. So we know that you're highly educated. You came from, uh, you know, a background in some computer science, some technology, stuff like that. And now you've got this medical issue that you want to find a solution for. And we already hinted at the fact that you founded a company called Oxyware. So let's talk about this product. Explain exactly how you came up with this idea for Oxyware. Not not the purpose, we know the purpose, but the idea for the product itself. Yeah, so something like that raised when I had the cardiac issue in uh, at Georgetown was the doctors were questioning me like whether you should stay alone, whether you should consider changing the school. And they were literally asking me to go back to how everything was before. And I was not ready to do that. So I went and bought few wearables. I bought like wrist wearables that's available in the market so that I can see my heart rate and everything. And I went to the doctor and said, I can live alone. I have a device now. And then he said, okay, your problem is not your heart rate. Your, your problem is your oxygen levels. And for people with pulmonary hypertension, your body oxygen levels drop, but you don't physically feel it. That's the problem here. So I said, okay, I have finger cuff. He said, yeah, you already had a finger cuff, but you still didn't know it because unless you physically feel it, you don't wear it and check. So that's your problem. So as a joke, then I told him, okay, then maybe let's do something. Let's make something because I wanted to live alone. I didn't want to move back with my sister and, you know, go back to zero. And then he was laughing and he's like, what do you mean? I said, you know, just like a fire alarm, you sense the fire smoke, you call 911. And then he was like, if anyone can do it, it's you. So do it and I will help you. So we started it off as a joke, like, you know, so that I can, I don't have to move to my sister's and I can still live alone and still study at Georgetown. 
Yeah, so this was all an attempt for independence, essentially, because what they're yeah. saying is, since we can't monitor your status, you know, it's unsafe. So that was your solution is let's make something that consistently monitors this situation, not heart rate, but actual, you know, yeah. oxygen levels oxygen and something, I guess, that has some sort of communication component. You know, you're talking about a fire yeah. alarm, so something yeah. that communicates and can can sound the alarm, so to speak. So that's all well and good, right? You have a tech background. You've now got, you know actual medical personnel that, that you're joking about this with, but how do you actually go about creating a, uh, a concept? I know it's a long step to creating the product, but creating a concept of, well, this may actually work. So tell me about that. Yeah, it, it, that was really tough because now the thing was, I'm, I was already a workaholic. I was doing about four jobs in school. And then I was doing my master's. I was cramping for time. So when I was studying at Georgetown, the program I did, it's an interdisciplinary program where you can literally pick whatever you want to study and you can study and there's options that you can do your own independent studies. So I went and asked them, I told them, uh, the program director at my uh, program at Georgetown CCT, like, okay, I have this crazy idea. <laughs> can I do it as an independent study? And they was like, explain it to me. I said, my doctors doesn't allow me to stay alone. So I want to make this wearable on the ear to monitor my body oxygen levels and then warn me so that I can get the help in time. So then I asked the doctor, okay, what's the best place to measure oxygen other than the finger? And then he was like, ear, ear is the best place, not the finger, the ear is the best place. I was like, okay, fine. So will, let's do an earring. That's how I said. And so then I went and I spoke to my professor who I did all my tech and development work with. And then he was like, I love crazy ideas. Let's do this. So he became my advisor. And then one of the jobs I was doing at Georgetown was working as a makerspace, like a, the uh, space coordinator. Yep. So because of that, what I did was while I was at Makerspace, I started working on it because there's electronics corner. And first what I did was I, I had no clue how to do this. I'm software. I'm not an electronics person. But I have played around with Arduinos. So I researched on different sensors, what I have to use. And then, so that's what I was supposed to do. My professor was not helping. He said, you, you need to like, first thing is you need to research on what sensors are needed. How do you do this? What are the additional stuff you need to warn what you need? Like all the parts you need to assemble this and then do the big overall thing to see whether it works on me. And then I had, I went and studied different electronics like Texas instrument journals and watch video, YouTube videos and did so much research to figure out how do I put this together. So what's interesting about this is, you know, there's a lot of people in the e-commerce space that have an idea. You know, this is something that needs to happen. Here's a, a function we need to fulfill. But people just don't know the next step. Like, I'm not an inventor. I'm not an electronics, uh, you know, engineer, electrical engineer. I, I don't know any anything. But it sounds like for you, the solution was just to start researching the crap out of it, right? YouTube yeah. videos, Google this thing, and then started utilizing these makerspace, right? These makerspace yeah. um, people. 
And it's interesting in this world, there are so many people out there that are hobbyists or that are learning or they're students or they're interns that can do this stuff. And for me, there's a lot of things I don't know how to make, but I'm finding out there's huge networks of people that will work with me a lot of times for free to at least put prototypes together, which is interesting. So it reduces that barrier to entry that so many of us think we have. Yeah, because it like I had to like the sensors are so tiny. I burned about good thousand dollar worth sensors trying to sort the wires into that. And I remember then I got help from the other people who were like who were like literally actually engineers. And I'm like, can you help me to sort this? And then I was holding the wires for them to sort up. And a lot of people, and then I had no idea how to do such small 3D printing. And then I got a friend to come in who does this other like a sensor that a swallowable pill that scans your, the digest, the whole, the digestive system. So he prints those capsules. So because of that, I called him and I asked, can you spend a weekend with me and teach me how to 3D print on the form uh, uh, printer? And then I learned from him how to do the modeling and then send it to the printer, the printing, all that. And then, so I literally learned from everyone who's around. And like, I was like, if I had this in 2000, Jesus, if, if I had all these resources, it would have been so awesome. <laughs> Yep. Because then everything is online. You can learn everything literally if you spend time on it. So like even the code. So even the coding, yeah. So yeah. so you've put together a prototype that worked, right? It would yeah. record your accurate blood oxygen levels, right? But yeah. I know that there are other things that you had to uh, put in this, a communication piece. It had to be able to talk. It had to be, you know, a smart device. Yeah. But what was the next step once you determined, hey, this thing actually works? Like, what was the next big step that you had to take to start refining this? So then after that, what happens? So initially, actually, I did it, like I said, for myself, right? And then at Georgetown, they have this Ted Leonsis Family Entrepreneurship Prize. Until this, I had not thought about a startup at all. I did this just to prove my doctor that I can live alone. Oh, so this wasn't even a business plan. No, now that you've no, created the was, prototype, you decided, oh, this could actually be a business. Yeah, so then only my makerspace manager was like, normally they had it only for business school and they opened it to the whole campus. So he was like, okay, no one from the makerspace has ever won a prize. I'm nominating you. I have two hours to submit the application because they take applications through nominations. And then he was like, what's your company name? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, put a name for this. <laughs> and I was, so we wrote all the names. And then I said, it's oxygen and it's wearable. So, and oxygen is O2, right? So we said, O2 wear. So that was the first name. So for that pitch, he said, okay, I'm putting it as O2 wear. So <laughs> that was what we submitted the application as. And then I pitched, so 21st was that, 28th was the bark tank. And then at the bark tank, I won the first prize and the people's choice both again. So in total, I got $40,500. So with that money, then what I did was I first start because I was an international student. So until I finished studying, I couldn't incorporate in the company mm. because I'm not mm. allowed to work. But I was graduating that December. So we, I waited like until December 
until I then until I got my OPT, and then just as I got it, I wanted to like incorporate it, but then I didn't know how to do it. So then, next to Georgetown, there's an incubator called Halcyon. Uh, incubator in DC. So then I, from the people, so I talk to everyone. I make friends very easily. <laughs> so from the first page, that judge who helped me, he introduced me to Halcyon, the current incubator people. And then I met them and I started going there, like making friends with them. Those I finished, I graduated, so they were still there. And whatever the way I can help them with my development skills and all, I help them and all that. So I was hanging out there. And then one of the cohort members, like uh, one of the startup fellows, what they did was they introduced me to Cooley, the law firm. And then Cooley got me in as a pro bono client. Oh, nice. So let me back up for a second. So you just came up with a good idea. You landed in a position where you didn't even think you were going to turn this into a business. You were able to pitch this in competitions where you raised prize money. And then an incubator was able to connect you, which gives you a workspace and networks, connected you to a law firm who took you on as a pro bono, basically free client, who I assume helped you with the business structure and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So then they helped me to first incorporate because they knew I can't do it until I get the OPT. Sure. So just as I got the OPT, I incorporated the company. And then they started working with me on my, because before the team, what I was worried about is, okay, I need to get this whole concept and everything patented before I put it out. Yeah. So they helped me with the whole patent and we filed a provisional patent for the utility. And then we filed design patents. Yeah, and for those of you that don't know, I'll give you the brief rundown. A design patent and a utility patent are two very different things. A design patent is like a, 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 the shape or a look. Like the old school Coke bottles were design patented, but the function of you know a glass bottle holding a Coke, that wasn't patented. That would have been utility. So by filing for a utility, basically you know they're locking in the ability to make a wearable device on your ear that performs this function. And the design patent means nobody can knock off basically the aesthetics and the look of it. And a provisional yeah. patent is just a placeholder to get started, right? So yeah. you filed for all three of these things, which is the best protection you can get. Yeah. So then, uh, so we filed a provisional for all wireless vital monitoring done on the ear loop and the communications done around it. So you've got a little bit of money. You're getting a business founded. You've got some protection. But... Now you need to go to the next step, right? The next step is refining the design, making sure everything works. And now I assume that in your journey, you had to enlist some pretty serious designers, right? And some some engineering. So give us like the high level of the next step. And let me ask you this. Is the final version of this thing done yet? Yeah, we have the cosmetic version. Okay, so you so you have it finished. So how did you go from, all right, you've got patents, you've got a business now to finished product so like a, so what i said was so then before i started at halcyon itself i wanted to get an engineer that was my first priority i wanted to get an engineer who understands because i knew what what is needed and the logic behind it so you went through this process and i'm assuming you found an engineer 
Yes. So then at Halcyon, when I got into the incubator, I met uh, through my other fellows in the cohort. I got in, uh, introduced to my current CTO, George, and then Ben, who's my product designer, lead product designer. So by February, they did this. Oh, nice. So for those of you who don't, don't see the video, this is like an amazing little device. It's tiny. It's sleek. It looks like something Apple would make, right? And it comes in yeah. uh, like a nice case. Like this thing is awesome. Yeah, it's, a so, it's a wireless oh, charging port. Wireless charge. It's kind of like the AirPods, right? Like a wireless charging yeah. port. So you spent a year and a half coming up with this idea. Right, and, the team. Yeah. and then and putting the team together. And as soon as you got the right people together, they whipped up an amazing finished yeah. product, right? Which yeah. is, is a valuable lesson. One, hurry up and outsource as fast as you can. But also just because something starts slow doesn't mean it's going to continue to be slow. Like it's possible this thing yeah. could ramp up very, very quickly, you know, kind of hit that inflection point. After we got this done, when I knew, okay, this is possible. Then I started looking for a developer and I hired a developer. My designer is based in San Francisco. And then at that time they had the startup brand global conference. So I took that chance, flew to San Francisco because I wanted to raise money because we were using this 40,000 for all this work. Yeah, so so let me let me back up and just recap this. Tell me if this is correct. You haven't really made any money on this thing, right? But this is extremely expensive. No. So you're hiring people, to. yeah, you're hiring people that probably are working for some sort of equity in this future business, I suspect, yeah. right? Cuz yeah. cuz you're yeah. you're not paying these super high level folks. The $45,000 isn't going to go very far, but you've got you got that money from a contest, you've got basically scholarships through incubators. You've got people on your advisory board that are working for you. You've got employees that are working for equity. Like this is amazing. So now you've got this business that really isn't worth anything because there's no revenue, but you've got the finished product, right? Yeah. And you've done all of that, but now it's time to hit it hard and it's time to actually grow this thing into a business. So what is kind of the next step in your journey from there? Like turning it into a business. The legal work and everything was really expensive and they were like costing and then the hardware, like getting the stuff we need and printing the prototypes. Yeah. And they were so expensive because when you do one cosmetic prototype, it's super expensive. You know how it is when you're a female and raising money and it's only no revenue, it's hardware, right? So we can't show then the working model because on the Linux it works, but it's not connected to the mobile application yet. So they can see the output. It was tough, like getting the term sheets because people were negotiating the price. Like the lawyers, everyone checked the value and set the uh, cap on the term sheets, everything, but it was hard. And then, so it was November again, and then it was the next year, Bark Tank event. So the normal tradition is the previous event winner has to MC the event. And then you need to say from this whole year, what have you done? And with that money. So then I went for that pitch. I was MCing and I told them everything we have done and that we have a team of three now and this is where we, we are and everything I explained. And then I met Ted there again. I have been keeping him on loop of everything I was doing. He was so sweet. Like for that whole year, he has been super supportive to me and everything. 
So after the pitch competition, since he was there, I was meeting him face to face. I went and told him, I'm trying to raise money. It's really hard. And I said, you, will you join as a board member? He said, I don't have time for all these board member things, but I'll join you as advisory board member. I'll help you with the advising. And you can write to me anytime and you can put my photograph on your website and you will get more investors coming in. I was like, okay. That's awesome. And, then, and the next month, he said he's putting his personal money and he invested. And then I started the friends and family fund, family round. So then we started getting money. And then I flew to San Francisco. So at the, uh, so right in February, I flew to, just before the whole Corona thing started, I flew to San Francisco. Then I met my designer there. And then because now we started dressing, I attended the startup grind to see whether I can find some Silicon Valley investors. And then from there, like, so I met a Japanese investor. He, I literally spoke to him for six hours, two days. So 12 hours in total. And then he was like, okay, send me the term sheets. I'll be back in Tokyo in one week's time. And then I'll get the paperwork done and I will invest. And I liked them because they were investing for the cause. Sure. So I knew they, we are all on the same mission. So you've got the final, kind of the final version of this thing designed, but you're still not up and running yet, correct? Because well, you've got to raise more money and put these things into full production, correct? Yeah. And, and then the best part was it's the partnerships we've made. I, I met Katie Ledecky's brother, Michael Ledecky. He helped me with as advisor now. And then through him, I got introduced to uh, some coaches of US Olympics. And something I learned from them is that even for athletes, they need it. Yeah, so it's and not just not, somebody with a medical condition. Yeah. It can be uh, for sports optimization and things like that, which is huge. Yeah, for performance monitoring and for high altitude training, for all those, they need it. Yeah. So let me ask you this, uh, um, to kind of wrap up the story, you've got the final production round being finished. You're raising money to go to full production. Then you're going to take this thing, uh, to the market. And with a medical device, there's a lot of ways you can do that. You can sell them independently. You can sell them through medical professionals, things like that. But looking back at this journey, this has been long. Like you've been working on this product for nearly two years now, right? Maybe more than that. What convinced you that this was such a good idea that it was worth continuing fighting to make it happen because this didn't just happen overnight this has been a serious endeavor so how were you convinced that it was worth doing there are times i keep asking myself are you crazy what are you doing especially when my bank balance goes to zero and i have to call my dad for money yep and because i had an offer from deloitte i said no to that just as I graduated, I was supposed, I, I got an offer from Deloitte and I was, I could have got that job and it would have been an awesome package. And I said no to that and I started this and here I am with just sometimes $10 balance in my account and I keep asking, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? And especially like when I can't pay my team, I feel more burdened. Yep. And because people are depending on me, it's a big responsibility. Yeah. So, but then I get these emails 
and messages on social media from pulmonary hypertension patients saying, thank you so much for doing this for us. And I can't wait to have this device. I will, I'll, I, I will be able to step out and do normal things and without having to worry about oxygen. And people reaching out and sending messages. And then you know, like you are doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, it's just, it's the struggle. The silver lining is there. Just hang hang on. You know, it's, it's funny, like as entrepreneurs, even like you're going around talking to venture capitalists and you're raising money and you've got pitch decks, like most of the world assumes, oh, entrepreneurs all have money. You know, like, oh, she's invented this thing. She's got a patent on this thing. It may be years before you get the first dollar from that, right? No. And every I time you on my dad, I feel embarrassed. Yeah. And every time that you bring, you know, a dollar in, it turns right back out. And yeah, the money comes in, especially because it's hardware. Yeah. We have goes to spend, right back out. it goes, it comes in, it goes back. It's like just yeah. reflecting light. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. You said, you know, there's times when you have $10 in your bank account. That's like one of the points that's interesting is, you know, folks that create a product, that create a brand, that create a company, it's not overnight, it's not instant, and you have to put in the dues. You have to spend time, you know, practicing pitches. You have to spend time working on PowerPoint presentations. You have to spend time trying to learn to solder products if you're not an engineer, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be worth and it, I think. Especially when you're raising money now, I literally, you know, you have, I must have pitched to about good 20 or 30 plus investors now. And still like about maybe four must have invested. So when is this thing actually going to hit the market now? So the, we are going as two different ones. We are going as a consumer product and as a medical product. Okay. Because we can go as a fitness and aviation, like fitness device, like normal Fitbit and everything. Yep. So yep. we are planning to go out as a fitness device because we developed a performance monitoring dashboard for athletes. So our market is not the Apple Fitbit client. Our market is who needs medical grade, most accurate oxygen readings and continuous. So our market is completely different. We are not competing with them. We are trying to give what they can't give. Sure. And sure. so we will be doing going out as a consumer product so that we can sell the devices to patients who can afford to purchase it and also to sell it to the teams and we are currently testing the UI with the Washington Wizards fitness coach. Nice. And he also connected us with the Boston Celtics head coach. So that's amazing. We are, so we we want we are doing the UI, UX testing with them, and then Naveen from U, Wizards said he will do the beta testing on the device as well to help us. So. We want to get the consumer one out. So until we do the FDA, then we will be making revenue. At least then we will have some money. So we're still looking at a year away, probably. By June, we should be able to put out the consumer. Six months. Six months to launch. Yeah, six months. That's yeah, amazing. Six months, we just need to hang out. Yeah. And then, but parallelly, we are doing the FDA 510K work. Yeah. So we partnered with MethodSense from uh, California and then with them. We are working on the 510K pre-submissions and everything. And then parallelly, we are working on the medical level. So because then whoever can't afford it can get it prescribed yep. and get it. And plus the hospitals are interested in using it for the six-minute walk test. And then also for pediatric use and to discharge patients for remote patient monitoring. 
Yeah. So we are currently developing with the requests we receive from the hospitals a remote patient monitoring application. So our revenue will actually come from those SaaS models, the data licensing and the tech. Oh, licensing. nice. Yeah, that's really so cool. Because, we, because what I wanted, I started this to help patients. So I don't want to tax the patients. Yep. So we will be giving this in a way that they can afford. So it's a one-time pay. They will have the device, but we will make money from the corporate. It's amazing. By licensing. So that's, and then because my mission is saving lives. I started this not for me to become a billionaire, but I know investors want to make money. So I need to figure out how to make money for them, but at the same time, save people and help them. So it sounds like a win-win. You're going to help people. You're going to to solve a problem that that you struggled with all your life and still struggle with and hopefully make a lot of money doing it. Yeah. And then also like one thing I have in mind is I want to do it formally to create like an NGO branch called OxyCare under OxyWare where people can actually donate a device for whoever like there are people like the medical expenses in US is, I know how bad it is. So for whoever can't afford it, then someone can donate it. That's amazing. Like amazing. you can match, like we do that. Like we did it, we ran an Indigo campaign with that, we did it. So whoever donates, they donate and then we match it and we connect and say, your don- device was donated to this, assigned to this patient and when they receive it, we will get you to them. So it's like a matching thing. Someone can donate a device. Let me just tell you, this has been one of the more interesting interviews that I've ever done just from your story and how this led into everything and kind of, you know, this medical issue from a child all the way to having to learn how to run a business, how to raise money, how to engineer, how to design, how to utilize resources. It's been amazing. So for those of you that are interested to, to follow the rest of this path as this thing goes to market, especially on the consumer line, the website is Oxyware, O-X-I-W-E-A-R. Make sure to check it out. They've got a really cool website up right now, and I'm sure as this thing goes to market, I myself will be looking at how the marketing is done because I'm going to be extremely interested how this is done, especially with some big names like the NBA and people like that. So, Shavi, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing this. Hopefully, thank this is so inspirational because there's so many people listening to this that have stories and they have you know, purposes. They want to be able to help, uh, help people or they want to be able to accomplish something. And they need to know that it's not overnight, but it's worth doing. You know, sometimes it seems like it takes forever. And sometimes you're going to have $10 in your bank account. And sometimes you've got to figure out how to use resources that you're not familiar with and just learn along the way. So I, I, uh, I personally am inspired by this. I'm sure our listeners are too. So thank you very much for being on and, and good luck with the rest of your fundraising and, and your launch, uh, later into 2021. All right, guys, uh, we've wrapped up another episode now. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you um, for all the support you give us. If you would drop a review in whatever podcast platform you're listening to, drop us a thumbs up on YouTube, and we will see you guys on the next episode.